0: This is New Beginnings, hosted by award-winning broadcaster and speaker, Freddie Bell. A program for and about America's 78 million baby boomers.
1: Here's your host, Freddie Bell. Hi, everyone. This is New Beginnings. I am Freddie Bell. Glad you're with us today. And coming up on the show, many of our favorite partners, including Leibel Sternbach is here, Joe McKenzie, and friends from AARP Minnesota. All this plus the words to the wise on New Beginnings, and our program is underway right now. It's time to talk about Community Challenge Grants, but first I need to introduce Kathy McClear. She is AARP Minnesota State Director, and uh, this is really an exciting time because it, it it gets you a chance to interface with a lot of different individuals and organizations who are really trying to make a difference in our communities.
2: Yeah, the AARP Community Challenge Grants have really infused um, communities with some much-needed funds. Um, these are projects that can make tangible improvements that really kind of jumpstart that long-term change to improve livability in a community. And we know that, um, you know, great communities take a long time to build, but we also believe that those, some of those quick actions can spark some really long-term change. And these grants are designed to give a little seed money to those, uh, those groups wanting to make improvements in their community.
1: Can you talk yet about how large the grant uh, pool is and how many grants you, you're looking to make this year?
2: Yeah, well, since 2017, um, the, the AARP Community Challenge Grant has funded more than uh, 1,060 projects nationwide. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've had a number of projects funded right here in Minnesota. So the city, city of Minneapolis, um, they received a grant last year, uh, really looking at installing seating, signage, um, and uh, projectors in some of the mobility hubs. And so making sure people understand how to use public transportation in the community. Um, we had one grant to the Philando Castile Peace Garden um, really to, you know, create that new public space, uh, memorialize, memorialize Philando Castile and really unify and restore the community community. Um, the Eastside Freedom Library has received some funds. Uh, the Veterans Memorial Park, Mill City Church. Uh, this, is, this was a really fun project. It was an ex- uh, showcasing an accessory dwelling unit. Mm. And so really showcasing how, um, you know, some simple projects like allowing a secondary uh, living unit uh, to be built um, on a lot can really provide some great housing options uh, in a community.
1: We're talking with Kathy McClear about the Community Challenge Grants. And when does the grant cycle open and what do we need to do to apply?
2: Yes, the the grant cycle is open now. Um, And so we would encourage folks um, to go to our website. You can learn more about it at aarp.org forward slash community challenge. Applications are all due by March 15th. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, those funds are dished out quickly. And we ask folks to get those projects done, you know, by November of this year uh, so that we can really highlight um, those changes that are taking place in communities.
1: I saw that one of your staff members was indicating that there may be uh, two new wrinkles or two new grants this year. Can you talk about that?
2: Sure. Well, we have our, our traditional grants that we've done that really focus on improving those public places, transportation, housing, uh, focusing on improvements to diversity, equity and inclusion. But this year we have a couple of different ones. There's a capacity building micro grant, um, which provides some additional resources and tapping into some other areas. Um, resources that AARP has to really improve walkability or those community gardens, uh, like I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. And we also have some demonstration grants. And so helping communities build capacity to change their transportation systems or build awareness of new housing options.
1: So is it open to profit, nonprofit, or uh, what are the requirements to even start the whole process this year?
2: Yes, these are open to nonprofit organizations so either a 501c3 a 501 c4 or a 501 c6 um, so those would be government entities or nonprofits and uh, a few other organizations would be considered on a case-by-case basis but if you have an interest in making your community better and you've got an idea to uh, make something happen uh, you know we encourage folks to apply and uh, wish wish folks luck because it's a great opportunity to um, just really infuse some energy into a community.
1: I noticed in our uh, warm-up that uh, AARP plays uh, several roles to support livable communities. And can you outline those four points for us before we go?
2: Sure. This is really um, making communities uh, more livable for all ages and stages of life. And we do that through you know, advocating on really important issues. So that might be zoning issues. Um, engaging citizens in the process, making sure that people 50 and older are part of the decisions that are happening at their community level. Um, again, we provide those resources and expertise, uh, so lots of information on our website, as well as those community challenge grants, um, and then really serving as that catalyst or a convener to bring people together to spark ideas of how to make their community stronger.
1: All right. And once again, that uh, website for putting in that application by March 15th.
2: Sure, AARP.org forward slash community challenge.
1: She's Kathy McClear, AARP's Minnesota State Director, and this is New Beginnings. (music) Disappointed listening every week at this time on New Beginnings, and right now we turn our attention to Mr. Joe McKenzie. He is the founder of Ripple Connects. The slogan says, We turn candidates into contenders, but it's more than just a slogan. That is something they actually do. The website is com. If you'd like to reach him by phone, you can reach Joe McKenzie simply by calling 613-438-1621. Joe McKenzie, welcome back, and it's good to talk to you.
3: Yeah, Freddie Bell, how are you doing today?
1: Unbelievable. Really ready to talk about how we can help people to really start to advance their careers or to develop new strategies on how they can enhance whatever it is that they're doing. And uh, I see the topic today is the challenges of the day's hidden job market. How about if we level set, Joe McKenzie? We've talked about this before, but let's talk we about yeah. wh- what is a working definition of the hidden job market?
3: Well, I think the most commonly accepted definition of a hidden job market is they're simply job openings that are not advertised by employers. And so these jobs are essentially hidden to someone that's only looking for opportunities online. So they're not hidden, hidden. But if you're only looking for posted jobs and you're not talking with people that may know of some openings, not every job gets posted. And that's the definition of a hidden job market. And, and Freddie, I'm, I'm happy to say that we've, at New Beginnings here, we've taken the lead on bringing this topic forward on a regular basis because I know someone today is said in there going, if I have to apply for another job and I don't hear anything about it and I feel like my job search is stalled and they're only uh, applying for advertised jobs or online jobs, at least we've given them some insight on a potential new path. It doesn't replace applying for jobs that you see online. It augments your strategy. And that's what I want to talk about today. And, I, and, you know, we've talked about this on a regular basis because Freddie, it needs to be talked about on a regular basis. The hidden job market is real. And it's it's important that someone accepts that they're, they're, they may not be seeing all those jobs. And how are you going to find a strategy that's going to leverage some of those that are still out there but not posted?
1: So is a hidden job market an intentional uh, phenomenon by the employers?
3: I don't know if it's intentional as much as maybe the reality of it is that if they post a job and they get 500 resumes or 500 people applying, how do they go through that? An HR office or someone, a company without an HR office may say, who do you know that could fit this role? We need, we need a replacement soon and we need someone that we can get it, you know, that can step right in. It may just be the reality of this, that business that has an opening that just doesn't have that bandwidth to advertise and interview and, second interview and and all that. So I I think it's, it comes down to often reality of today's world, that it's tough to onboard people, recruit people. And employers may just say, who do you know? And they use their natural networks to do that. And those natural networks is what we want to tap into as a strategy.
1: We're talking with Joe McKenzie about the hidden job market, the challenges of today's hidden job market. So let's talk about that. What's What would be entry point number one to the hidden job market that uh, most people overlook, Joe McKenzie?
3: The the simplest and most natural way for an entry point in the hidden job market is our bench of advocates. So the people that know us the best through our volunteering and who we've worked with in the past, they're going to be our eyes and ears. They're going to hear from their natural networks about who's looking to add somebody. And that's our natural entry point in the hidden job market. We're not talking to total strangers. We're talking with the people that we know. And we use a self-marketing self strategy of, you know, painting a picture of what it is that they're looking to land. And so it could be four or five people. But, Freddie, those four or five people can be that set of eyes and ears that can allow your search to ripple outwards and that connects with their networks and beyond. So that the logical entry point is our bench of career advocates.
1: So I haven't talked to my uh, bench of advocates in some time. Uh, I may not even have a bench of advocates. And you mentioned four or five people that you can talk to. Is four or five people enough if I'm really in between jobs and I'm trying to get uh, get into get a meaningful a job where I can get my benefits or even just a paycheck each week?
3: I think you do have to look at a, a, a strategy of multiplying that outward. And it may not be those initial five or six people. Those, those initial five or six may connect you to two or three. And that, now you're adding organically to that, that, that bench. And if, if, if Freddie Bell advocated for Joe McKenzie with someone, that someone may be that advocate. That might be my newest advocate, Freddie. So if you think about it, you're adding to your advocate's by you know, working with your first tier first, the people that know you the best. But to answer your question, the more people that have an eyes and ears on what's out there that may not be getting posted, I think you increase the chances of the hidden job market or some of those jobs that are not being posted that, co- that comes to you.
1: We're talking to Joe McKenzie about the hidden job market and today's challenges. So you mentioned entry point. So entry point number one was to leverage your bench of advocates what would be entry point number 2
3: after that it, you're you're going to have situations especially now that the pandemic has caused a lot of us to work remotely or may not we may not have seen someone for the past 3 years a strategy should be to reestablish some of those connections that may have gone dormant And that can be done through, you know, social media. Particularly, LinkedIn is a great way to to use that messaging app. That might be a way to reestablish some of those people that were on your bench of advocates, but because of the pandemic or a job change or working remotely, you may not have as much regular contact with them. So, I think there is that is the challenge today, Freddie. That a lot of people, some of these connections have gone dormant because of just the logistics of of the the post-pandemic world. So look to reestablish, look to use a social media platform to reconnect and never never overestimate the power of reaching out to someone via phone and having a brief but thoughtful conversation about what you want to do next. But I think the key point here is to reestablish some of those connections that may not be as uh, active as they once were just three or four years ago.
1: So is reestablishing the connection different for a millennial or a Gen Xer than it is for a baby boomer?
3: I don't think it's so much different The the mode of it might be different. Um, a millennial may text someone that they haven't talked to in a few years where a baby boomer may pick up the phone. All of us are using social media. I don't think it's different. The only thing I think could be different is the mode of how they reconnect with somebody.
1: All right. Do you have a final thought, Joe McKenzie, before we put a bow on it for this week?
3: There's challenges to the hidden job market. There always is. But the hidden job market is to be worked. But if you don't work it, then you're sidestepping a whole whole segment of opportunities up there for you. So use your bench of advocates and just keep rippling it outward.
1: All right. Joe McKenzie, 763-438-1621. You do some fine work at Ripple Connects.
3: Yes, we do. We turn candidates into contenders.
1: You're listening to New Beginnings. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to New Beginnings. I'm Freddie Bell, and it's time now for our national celebration. Today is National Pound Cake Day. It recognizes one of the dessert world's most versatile cakes. Each year, it is celebrated by bakers and cake lovers alike. Celebrate with a piece or two of this deliciously rich delight. The traditional recipe for pound cake makes a cake much larger than most families can consume as it calls for a pound each of flour, flour, Butter, eggs, and sugar, hence the name Pound Cake. Here in the United States, sour cream pound cake is a popular variation apart from the traditional pound cake recipe. Other variations include adding vanilla or almond flavoring or dried fruits. Here's how you can observe the day. Visit your favorite bakery and pick up a pound of deliciously sweet cake to share. Give the baker a shout-out, too. Turn on your oven and bake up a traditional pound cake. We have just the right recipe if you'd like to write me. Invite your friends to join you and slice it up. Add some sweet berries, whipped cream, and a drizzle of chocolate or fruit syrup. And bake some to give to friends for a gift or bring it to work to share with your coworkers. Today is National Pound Cake Day. And this is New Beginnings.
4: This is a news-oriented broadcast, and all information is educational in nature is not intended
1: to be
3: legal, securities, tax, or insurance advice. Please consult with the appropriate professional before acting on information heard during the broadcast.
0: You're listening to New Beginnings, New Beginnings with Freddie Bell.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Freddie Bell, and now it's time to talk finance with Leibel sternbach he's amazon's best selling author of Living with Financial Anxiety and also authenticity libel welcome back, and I'm just wondering why is it that it seems that the top one percent pay the least amount in taxes? Clearly, I'm not in the top one percent
0: so the two things one, the top one percent they pay you know. Dollar-wise, they pay the most in taxes. Percentage-wise, they pay the least in taxes. And the reason for it, the reason for it is because our tax code is set up to incentivize certain behaviors. And the, the, the affluent, right, really people who are in the top 5% of earners, they have discretion with their income, right? When you are, when, when you make barely enough money to cover your expenses, um, or you're living, you know, paycheck to paycheck. You don't have a lot of flexibility in terms of what you can do with your money or how you can earn your money. But when you start having extra money, when you start having more than your necessities, then you start to have a choice of how you earn your money. And it doesn't take much Google searching. It doesn't take, take much of listening to the wealthy talk about money. For you to realize one thing, earning money, earning a paycheck is the most expensive way to make money, right? That it gets taxed at the highest, uh, highest rates. It is the most labor intensive. You get the least return on your investment. Um, it is the thing that we got to do when we don't have any other ability to earn money. But the second that anyone really uh develops ability to earn money elsewhere or other ways they take it and our tax code is designed to is a designed to incentivize that behavior because it is good for our country when you work and you put you know you put a hard day's labor in uh you know an honest day's wage you get paid an honest day's wage but that honest day's wage just goes to you, right? You pay your rent, you buy your food. It doesn't really circulate in the economy a lot. What we'd much rather have as a country is we'd want you to not put in a hard day's work, but figure out how to hire a 100 people, uh, figure out how to build some widget that you sell to other countries that they pay money so that we can get the wealth of other nations into our economy. And our Tax code is the core of our economic engine that facilitates that transfer of wealth from other nations to us. And from within our economy, within our, you know, uh, nation, it facilitates the movement of money to the areas and sectors of the economy that we want to grow. So when we think about why do the 1% pay the least amount in taxes, it's because they are using the tax code to their advantage. They're earning their money in the most tax efficient ways possible. They are spending it, um, in the areas that our economy, that our country wants us to spend money, right? So, for instance, uh, Elon Musk, right? He built Tesla. Tesla makes more money selling tax credits than they do selling cars. I think the you know tw- for 2020 they sold uh, five billion worth of cars and fifty billion worth of tax credits. Wow! Right. Yeah, it is a significant amount, a portion of their revenue comes from selling these tax credits. And that's true across the board, right? When you look at the tax, at the wealthy, right? They go into these industries that are up and coming. And it's not just because, well, there's great returns on investments when you go into a new field. It's also because there's tax incentives to do it. They own real estate because it's tax advantageous to own real estate. They own, uh, you know, green energy companies and oil companies and coal mines and all of these different companies because there are tax incentives to own those companies, to run those companies, to generate your income that way, as well as giving charity, right? There's incentives to giving charity. And... All these behaviors, it's codified in the tax code. It changes every few years what they, what, what Congress wants you to do. But the 1% understand that taxes is a game. It's a treasure map. And the more that you look to the treasure map to tell you what to do with your money, the least, the less you're going to pay on your taxes. So we as investors, we as, as individuals, once we meet our necessities, we need to look at our money and we need to say, what is the most tax efficient way of accumulating our wealth of, you know, uh, when it comes time to retirement and we need to take our wealth and we need to turn that into income, what is the most tax efficient way to do that? And if we do not do that work of thinking through these decisions, Congress is going to do it for us and they're going to default to the decision that is most beneficial for them. And so when you ask the question, why do the 1% pay the least in taxes In taxes, it is because they are an active participant in our tax code. They are an active participant in deciding how they earn money and how they pay taxes. And it is something that everyone has the ability to do, assuming that you're meeting your necessities.
1: Interesting. We're talking with libel stern, for those who don't have that capacity liable to hire 100 people what's left for us to do to participate in this society?
0: So the uh, what I want you to think about, and I, I talk about this on my website, I got a guide called um, How to Pay Zero Taxes in Retirement, which I walk through and I've got a class and a webinar that goes through the uh, same concepts. But the concept I want you to think about is I want you to think about taxes as a ladder right and what you have is at the bottom rung of this ladder you've got the least efficient money right and it's, it's you're you got one leg up over being dead broke right so you know think about wages right it it doesn't really do much it doesn't do much for the economy it doesn't do much for you and you pay the most amount of taxes on it next up you have things like uh you know tax deferred right so your retirement accounts right you don't pay taxes on it right away you get an immediate incentive Right. So it reduces your taxable income. So it's actually doing something for you. Right. It's By saving money for retirement, you're number one, you're reducing your tax liability today. So that's great. And you're saving for your future and you're saving it on a higher account balance. So that's great. Right. Now, there are people are going to say, no, you should always save for Roth conversation for another time. Uh, you know, whether tax deferred or tax free savings is the way to go. Um But for now, I want you to think of that middle level as things where you have some kind of tax efficiency built in. And then the final level is what I call the tax me when I choose bucket. Um, and this level is what I think of being the most tax efficient. When we're talking about wages, you don't get to decide when you get taxed, right? You get taxed when you earn it. When you save money for retirement, well, Congress decides when you get taxed on that because you got RMDs, those require minimum distributions that you have to take out of your retirement accounts, which, you know, whether it's age 73 or age 75 now, at some point, you're going to have to take that money out. And even if you take that money out earlier, you're going to have to pay taxes on it as if it's ordinary income. So it isn't the most efficient. It's better than wages, but it's still you're gonna, you're, you're gonna pay a high tax bill on it. The final level is the tax me when I choose. And that's the most efficient because you get to choose when and how you get taxed. And it's very possible that you can pay zero taxes on it, on, on that money in there. And it is one of the secrets of the wealthy. So if you notice, um, and you can look at Elon Musk because he's, he, he's kind of flamboyant about this. Um, but. The wealthy very rarely sell their stocks. They very rarely sell things to generate income. Instead, what they do is they borrow against their assets mm. and debt in this country is not taxed. And so they will, they will borrow against their assets and use that to fund their lifestyle. Now, at some point, they're going to have to pay off that debt. Um, and at some point, there's going to be a tax bill due for that, but they can defer that for a very long time. And it's in all likelihood that if they play their cards right in terms of investing and how they manage things, they can offset a lot of that tax liability, both now and in the future. And so when it, when we talk about the wealthy, it's the reason why they pay less in taxes is because they concentrate their wealth. In that, in that top level of the tax bracket of the tax efficiency ladder where they get to choose when and how they get taxed and they can defer their tax liability to years when it's advantageous to them. Uh Donald Trump was actually is is he's in the news on a regular basis about this, about the fact that he has managed to get tax refunds from the government, uh <laughs> despite, you know, generating millions of dollars uh from his businesses because he's able to use the tax code so efficiently. Um, and so we as regular people, we have the ability to do it. We have the ability to do it on, you know, perhaps a limited basis. But Doing things whether it's investing in, you know, uh tax efficient invest uh um, positions, whether it, it's about doing things like Roth conversions in years where it's advantageous. So, you know, you lose your job and you're looking for a new job. Well, that's probably a great year to do a Roth conversion because your tax your your tax liability that be, that year is gonna be really low. So there are lots of opportunities. You just need to be on the lookout for you because the IRS is not going to come to you and say, hey, you have all these opportunities to save money on your taxes. You have all these opportunities to accumulate wealth. Nobody is going to come and tell you that these opportunities exist except for yourself. You're going to have to go out there and you're going to have to find them um, or hire for yourself a great financial advisor who is aware of these opportunities and not every advisor is.
1: You mentioned uh, a, a Roth conversion being a really excellent way to save money on taxes. So if somebody's trying, they're starting, they're considering taking advantage of these tactics you've just outlined, what's the best way to get them started?
0: So number one, do your research and understand what these tactics are. My website is filled with articles, filled with podcasts, filled with training and guides on these different strategies where I go into depth on it. Um, number two, book an appointment with me, right? I'm more than happy to talk with people as, you know, as availability is on my calendar or shoot me an email. Love hearing from you guys. Uh, post a question on my Facebook page. Um, but, you know, ask that, that number one is ask, right? And then number two is when you see something and you think, Hey, you know, that's a cool idea that I think applies to me. Speak to a financial advisor, speak to your accountant and get their opinion and then. Don't just take their word for it. Get a second opinion, right? Because some people will be overly aggressive. Some people will be overly conservative. But you want to kind of see, you know, get all sides and then make a decision for yourself. Um, because the, the number one thing that the top 1% have that distinguishes them from everyone else is they have a bias towards action. They will take they will they make decisions quicker than everyone else and they take action where everyone else is thinking. So the biggest thing that you can do to earn wealth for yourself and to help save money on taxes and do these things is to just take action. Um, do your research and then take make a decision based on the information you have and then continually tweak that decision uh, to your comfort. And as you learn and grow.
1: Every time we get together and have an opportunity to chat like this, Leibel, I learn so much. And this is one of those. I spoke with my Angelou years ago, and she says when you have an epiphany, that's when you turn a glass over. And I think I've turned over two glasses today. That website, again, is Yields4U.com? com. yields 4 com. right. Really insightful, as I just mentioned. And everyone, join us next time. As we talk about how to leverage the tax code, and you've heard a lot about that today, how to leverage the tax code to stretch your retirement savings and ensure that you don't run out of money. LIBO's website is yields for you. That's yieldsforyou.com dot Yields, the number four, the letter U, dot com. I'm Freddie Bell, and more New Beginnings is straight ahead. Just for fun this week on New Beginnings, are we suffering from app overload? You know, people download a lot of apps, but they abandon 95% of them. That according to a study by Nuance. The bottom line, we keep using the same apps. Here's a quick joke for you. An angry wife said to her husband on the phone, where the heck are you? The husband responds, darling, do you remember that jewelry shop where you saw that diamond necklace and totally fell in love with it? And I didn't have the money at the time, but I said, it'll be yours one day. The wife turns really sweet and says into the phone, I remember that, my love. The husband replies, I'm at the bar next to that jewelry shop. (laughs) Did you know that U.S. adults get roughly 12% of their calories from fast food? And that whole 12% is going straight to our McMittals. A recent study found that 11% of Americans had streamed or downloaded pirated television shows, movies, or live sports in 2022. What does that say about you? And according to the U.S. National Travel and Tourism Office, 62.8 million international visitors will come to the United States in 2023. That's up 21.2 percent from the 51.8 million who visited last year. That's still south of the 79 million people who visited in 2019. But the office believes that close to 80 million people will visit in 2024, beating that pre-pandemic record. And it's wacky but it's true, a 42-year-old woman in Japan went to a clinic complaining of persistent bloating and discovered that two surgical sponges were left in her body for at least six years. The sponges were suspected to have been left behind during one of her previous cesarean sections, one she had done six years ago, and the other nine years ago. Just for fun this week on New Beginnings.
0: And now, our supporting partner, AARP in the Twin Cities.
1: Joining us right now from AARP Minnesota, Mr. Jay Happelov, the Associate Director of Community Engagement. Jay, good morning and welcome
5: back, sir. Good morning, Freddie. Double A-R-P, that's me. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. You know, that that almost sounds like a DJ name. Double A-R-P, that's me.
4: (laughs) Right. I don't know. I
5: might have to send it on to the focus group and come up with something.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I like that. So uh, the Frog Watch Network, we've talked about this many times, uh, of course, helps people protect their money from criminals who are spreading their scams. Bar NYJ, what's new? Um, fraud losses are skyrocketing, uh, in 2022, but what's new now? What's the latest scams that we need to be looking at?
5: Hey, good morning, Chantel. That's what it's all about. Someone like me, I'm always looking forward to February because that's when the Federal Trade Commission comes out with its report about how much money people lost and got ripped off in the previous year. So it's bad news. Back in, 2022, and all through the pandemic, we have had skyrocketing, you know, amounts of money that are being stolen um, from regular people. As if people didn't have enough things to worry about, the scammers have really doubled down, and they are ripping us off here. Um, in you know, right now, and it's really increased, and and it's causing someone like me, who this is my job, it's causing me to think again about how are we going to prevent and help people stay safe from all of these scams because it really as much as hard as we're working to try to educate people and uh, prevent this crime it is increasing more than ever before
4: Mm. so tell us how bad is it jay uh what, what are we looking at as far as the numbers go for reported stolen money in 2022
5: yeah it's billions of dollars so you know, um, last year it was almost nine billion dollars that we were reported lost in all these scams to the Federal Trade Commission. If you go back before the pandemic in 2019, it was a quarter, a quarter of that amount. So just in these last few years that we've all been dealing with, um, it's increased by four times. And there's some reasons for that. You know, people are more isolated than we used to be. We're using this technology that, keeps the scammers anonymous, Um, really, the technology, as it's increased, we haven't kept up with the consumer protections that keep people safe and protected when it comes to how money is being transferred right from your cell phone or through other technological means, I guess. Um, And the scammers are really being more sophisticated. If I think back to how I was monitoring these scams before the pandemic, you'd see a lot of nonsense in the emails that have misspelled words and Mm -hmm. they look like junk. But Mm -hmm. nowadays those scams look really real. So what I'm, you know, I want to come on the radio today and tell people if you thought you were safe from these scammers before it's time to think again and really take some time out of your life and get yourself educated about how these scammers are operating today or else, you know, Compared to just a few years ago, you're as much as four times more likely to lose money to these scams Mm. um, today wow
4: that's a scary thought and I, I always think about you know why that is and, and i know you talked about people being more isolated the scammers are more sophisticated but then i always think about like these cash app these you know these apps where you can transfer money are, are the scammers coming from that angle um i know that email is always a big deal where they're actually using major company names and pretending to be a major company or corporation and then people give their information but um would you say that a part of the biggest reason where it, there it's a big boom is it because of the transferring of money the way we do it these days
5: <laughs> yeah here's an analogy i mean how many times have you been sitting there on your phone maybe it's late at night and you're scrolling on some shopping website and you say hey those shoes look nice or hey mm-hmm. you know i want to buy this uh, equipment that looks good to me and you just can very quickly make a decision and spend your money well the same thing goes for the scammers if it's easy enough for you to click on that phone and send that money Well, it's easy enough that one of those clicks could be a scam. So Mm. that is a big part of it, Chantel. Wow. So what does this mean for the average person, Jay? Right. So what I'm suggesting today is you know I could give you everyone an hour worth of tips, but we don't have that much time on the radio. So what we do at ARP, we got this website, AARP.org slash fraudwatch network, where any you don't have to be a member. Anyone can go to this website, sign up to get the alerts, so that whenever we are doing our work and we're monitoring new scams and, and we regularly are informing people about how they what they can do to protect themselves. That information can come right to your inbox. It can come right to your cell phone. You get a text message with the latest information. There's a lot, you know, to think about, but that's what we're here for. Sign up at arporg slash Network and we got all the information you need to make sure you don't lose any money to scams. Mm-hmm.
4: For sure. Thank you so much, Jay. 877-908-3360 is also the Fraud Watch helpline uh, if you want to help by phone to navigate through some of these crimes or if you have a crime to report. A fraud, uh, fraud crime to report 877-908-3360. The Fraud Watch helpline. I'm sure you can Google that as well. Or AARP.org slash Fraud Watch Network. Jay Hoppala, always a pleasure, but you always say you're not trying to scare us, but you always scare me.
1: Comes on and scares the hell out of us, I know. Thanks, Jay. <laughs> Boo!
4: <laughs> See? It's not even Halloween. <laughs> I'm scared. Oh. Oh man, it's it's really. Yeah, it's, you can be
5: empowered. You know, just like anything else, if you got some information, you can you know use it and empower yourself. You can help your friends and neighbors, help your parents, mm-hmm. um, keep everyone safe out there.
4: Indeed, indeed. Jay Hopla, associate state director, AARP. Thank you so much. We appreciate your time always.
5: Thank you. Yeah.
1: In our never-ending effort to find valuable information and insight in all areas, it's time to bring in Cassie Crandall with this week's Three
6: Things. Thank you, Freddie. Number one, what are you doing this weekend? Did you know the Minneapolis Home and Garden Show is going on? It's at the Minneapolis Convention Center through the 5th, which is Sunday, And tickets start at $12. That's the home and garden show at the Minneapolis Convention Center. Thing number two. Man sets new record by visiting Disneyland 2,995 days in a row. Wow. (laughs) It began as a joke, uh, between this guy, uh, and his buddy and, uh, decided, well, he was unemployed at the time and had been gifted an annual passholder uh, membership. And so he decided to start going every day. And then he set goals about it that he had to be there for at least an hour. And, yep, uh, he started in 2012, had to stop uh, on March 14th, 2020, due to COVID but he spent a whopping eight years, three months, and 13 days at Disneyland consecutively. Wow. Jeff Reed is his name, and Disneyland has given him gifts over the years as he achieved his various milestones. He has an honorary citizenship certificate and a pair of golden Mickey ears. Okay. And thing number three. I'll share a quote with you today. Psychology says, When you focus on problems, you will have more problems. When you focus on possibilities, you will have more opportunities. That's it for me this week. Y'all have a great week. For New Beginnings, I'm Cassie Crandall.
1: Thanks so much, Cassie. We'll talk to you again next week. I'm always so grateful that you join us each week on New Beginnings. It's a point of listening on your favorite radio station, and it happened this week in 1922. The first radio conference took place in Washington D.C. In 1925, Alaska's Glacier Bay National Monument was dedicated. In 1958, Columbia Pictures co-founder Harry Cohn died at the age of 67. In 74, the first issue of People Magazine hit the newsstands. In 1980, Gloria Gaynor's song "I Will Survive." won the first Grammy ever awarded for Best Disco Recording. It was also the last, as the category was eliminated the next year. In 1982, Wayne B. Williams was convicted of murdering Two of the 28 young black people found dead in Atlanta, Georgia, over a 22-month period. He was sentenced to life in prison. It was in 1990 that the Exxon Corporation and Exxon Shipping were indicted on five criminal counts relating to the 1989 Exxon Valdez oil spill. And in 1991, President George Bush announced an end to the military operation in Operation Desert Storm. And just 10 years ago, a full-size statue of Rosa Parks was unveiled inside the U.S. Capitol Statuary Hall. Parks is credited with starting the modern-day civil rights movement when she refused to give up her seat on a bus to a white passenger in Montgomery, Alabama in 1955. She died in 2005. It happened this week, and I'm Freddie Bell.
7: In today's world, we really need words of encouragement. Introducing Words to the Wise by Freddie Bell. Let your mind be opened by the wisdom of thought. Let the inspiration of the words feed your mind, body, and spirit. Regardless of the issues you face each day, Words to the Wise by Freddie Bell can help you power through. Words to the Wise by Freddie Bell. A handy reference. Available on Amazon, FreddieBell.com, and Barnes & Noble.
1: As New Beginnings continues, we now take you to the spirituality portion of our program where we introduce the Senior Minister of Unity South Twin Cities, the Reverend James Stacy. We now join Reverend Stacy with a program already in progress.
7: Well, I was looking through my notes and I thought, aha, this is something basic to understand. Our Rudolf Steiner study group uh, did this book. Um, a couple of years ago, and it offered these requirements or principles for the spiritual development of the individual. And I chose these because they're really quite straightforward. They appeal to your common sense. Schreiner said, whatever you hear in his work, or really anyone's work, it must Appeal to your common sense. If it doesn't, let it go. The first principle or requirement for spiritual development is that you turn your attention to the improvement of your physical and mental and spiritual health. Sound understanding Healthy experience occurs only in a healthy human being. So he found the spiritual path, one of the first steps, is your willingness to make an effort to improve your physical, mental, and soul health. Well, that makes sense. How could one start a spiritual discipline or practice and give no concern to how you treat your body and exercise, diet, and more? So that's essential. The second requirement, here we go. The second requirement is that we feel ourselves to be a part of the whole of life it is then but a small step to the insight that as a member of humanity as a whole, I am jointly responsible with all human beings for everything that happens. A principle of the responsibility of the individual. Now that might sound heavy until you realize like Charles and Myrtle Fillmore did, hey, I'm a co-creator with God of this world. I play a part in that. To me, that's joyful, that's exciting. I can make a difference. Third requirement that we went through, and realize this is all translated from German, so sometimes the language sounds a little bit different. We went through to the conviction that thoughts and feelings are as important for the world as actions. Thoughts and feelings are as important to the world as actions. Charles Fillmore, in his way, liked to say everything begins in a thought. He would say, Thoughts are creative, thoughts think. As if thoughts are alive and creative. Feeling, emotion has power. Many people by the 20th century, had been taught that thought and feeling is your private judgment. You don't talk about it and just keep it in here. It's not really real. It can't really do anything. For Steiner and for Fillmore, the thoughts you hold, the feelings that warm your soul, are as important as your outer actions. That was a key element, the spiritual development. Our inner life is important, essential. It's not something we just don't talk about and we keep inside ourselves and nobody will know what I'm thinking or feeling. It's important. The fourth requirement is that we acquire the conviction That our true nature does not lie out there, but in here. The fifth requirement. This is a good one. My common sense likes it. The fifth requirement is steadfastness. What Charles Fillmore called the power of strength. Endurance, consistency, rhythm, steadfastness. We must follow through on a resolution once it has been made. Listen, nothing should lead us to abandon something we have started except the insight that we have made a mistake. I love it. If you say you're going to do something, carry through no matter what. Unless that still, small voice says, you know, that might be a mistaken idea. Carry through, unless insight tells you to abandon the idea. The sixth requirement is that we develop the feeling of gratitude for all we receive. We should know that our very existence is a gift from the whole universe. Again, our mighty Steiner study group just finished a book that looks like a phone book. It took us two years, COVID got in the way, to finish. But it was about the creation, the universe, beyond anything you could imagine. Of the essence we got out of it was to be grateful for our individual life because so much came together to make us even possible.
1: You just heard a message coming from the Reverend James Stacy, the Senior Minister of Unity South in the Twin Cities. More information is found at their website at UnitySouth.org. And here are today's words to the wise. If it isn't broken, improve it. Today's words to the wise. If it isn't broken, improve it. You can find more at FreddieBell.com. That's our show, and thanks to our special guests for stopping by and sharing information that we hope can change lives. If you missed any of today's show, you can subscribe to our podcast or just Google Freddie Bell or stop by my website of the same name. Thanks for listening, and remember that each day is a chance for a new beginning. See you next week.